share with him what you want to see happen. This is our month of discipleship. Uh, two months, this month in April, it's, uh, we're dealing with a culture of discipleship. So ask God, ask yourself this one question. See, what sort of a disciple am I? What sort of a disciple am I? When the word discipleship comes to mind, what do you think? What enters your mind? Thank you, Father, for this wonderful and amazing opportunity to come to the house of the Lord. Your word says one day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere, Lord. And we just want to thank you, God, that we can come rejoice. We can come and worship and minister to you. Lord, it's all about you, Lord. Everything we do, Lord, we want it to be all about you. We are so grateful that you are an amazing father and that your love for us is beyond measure. We thank you. We bless you. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Um, why don't, actually, I'd, I'd, I'd like to try this exercise. Uh, if you're comfortable with it, turn to someone that you're familiar with, if you feel, or if you're unfamiliar as well, it doesn't matter, but just turn to someone and explain to the person what's a disciple. What do you feel a disciple is? Tell the person, what do you think? You cannot say you don't know. You just got to come up with some, some explanation. Come up with any explanation. Come up with any explanation. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm going to, we've got a mic here, wonderful. So uh, can I uh, sort of walk around and uh, ask, ask someone to give me a definition or give me your, your friend's answer, not your answer, but your friend's answer. So what did your friend answer? Come to me, anything. Your friend, no, not you, your friend. Did your friend say anything? No? Okay. What about you? Your friend didn't say anything too. Okay. What about you? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a disciple. As disciples, we all want to go home. Heaven is my home. Hallelujah. What about yourself, Mita? Um, David said, me. Me. Discipleship is? Discipleship is me. He said that means he is a disciple. Awesome. So, wow. So I said, expand. Explain more. And he says, no, it's me. <laughs> that's good. Thank you. Thank you. I like that. What else? Who wants to give it a shot? Your neighbor, your friend. We said the same thing, that it's learning in relationship. Learning. You, you were here last, last week for service. Well, praise God. <laughs> Any, anyone, anyone else? It's relationship. It's relationship. Building a relationship. Building oh. a relationship and then just living the life and then sharing. And then sharing. And uh, everyone say this with me. Each one. Say it louder. Each one. Okay, really loud. Each one. Reach one. reach one. One more time. Each one. Each one. Reach, one. reach one. Now, obviously, in, uh, when, when, when we put some of these things in, in context, and when a strategy is given like this, it can often be viewed as, oh, you know, maybe the, you know, these guys or this church is more concerned about numbers and, and uh, not about other aspects. You know what? 
when, an, when a strategy is given like this or when an emphasis is given, it doesn't mean it, um, it, it only focuses on one aspect. As a church, we want to focus on everything, right? We want to focus on caring. We want to focus on reaching out. We want to focus on what Jesus actually really focuses on. And his focus is very clear. He gave them power and authority to go out and to make disciples. So we require certain, certain strategic processes to put in place to help us achieve this in anything, in any organization. And when I say in any organism for that matter, the early church had that. They had a process. They met in, in, in the synagogue. They met uh, in houses. They broke bread daily on a daily basis. They met on a daily basis, actually. Uh, our connect groups meet uh, probably once a fortnight. Once a fortnight, we're trying to see whether we can do that every, at least first, second, and third week. But at this stage, it's once a fortnight. Then we've got listening prayer. We've got several different structures to, to, to encourage, to pull you into places where you're going to be discipled and you're going to be built up. You're going to be coming for listening prayer, for instance. When you come for listening prayer, it is, it, it is a space that you are going to be trained and mentored and taught on how to hear the voice of God. And when you hear the voice of God, you're sharing this with others around you. So you feel now, you begin to feel comfortable in being able to share that. You don't think that you're just hearing voices, but you're sharing these, uh, these uh, a sense from the Holy Spirit with everyone else. And when someone hears that and suddenly resonates with what you've shared, do you know what it does to your faith? It begins to encourage you. It begins to then affirm, man, I've just really, hey, I've really heard from God. And then you begin to flex your spiritual muscles, so to say, and you begin to grow like that. So likewise, with what Shami has just shared, it's just a, it's, it's like, you know, a diving board. You go out to the diving board and then you look down and you look at the other diving board and it's about 20 meters up. Is there one 20, maybe 15 meters up? And you look at that and you think, oh gosh, I'll go to the one that is just a meter above. So you'll start off, and then even when you go onto the one that is one meter, you get onto that ledge there. You just get right onto the tip, and you're wondering, should I, should I not? What do I do? Do I do, do I dive right in, or do I jump in with my feet down like a, what do you call that, a bomb, or water bomb, or whatever, you know? And th there is still that sense of fear. So what we have just, what Shami has just come and shared with us today is just that one meter jump that you and I can before we head up to that 15 meter. Amen. So please please view it view it from that from that context. And because it's part of our discipleship culture, we want each and every one to know that when we are discipled, we're discipled to get to God and to begin to change and transform this world. Jesus just chose 12 to change the entire world. Just 12. He lived with 12, he taught them, he began to share with them, he began to mentor them, they were his apprentices as such, right? And so, say that again with me, each one, reach one, each one, reach one, hallelujah. Okay, now let me go back to my slides, thank you, and I will control it from here, thank you guys, hallelujah. So, do you remember the word didaskalos means? 
teacher, and mathetes. I made sure I practiced that. Mathetes means pupil, right? So every teacher needs a pupil, and every pupil needs a teacher, right? Within the context of, of, of Greek philosophy, they had so many different philosophies, and, and, and everyone had, when they came up with a certain philosophy, they had their mathetes with them, and they began to share this. So the rabbis, as I, shared, uh, as I shared with all of us last week as well, they too had, so the Jews had this, uh, this process as well. There was a teacher. And that is why, if, if you realize that in the Gospel of John, I, I believe it's in John chapter 3, where uh, this, this, uh, this uh, I think it's one of the Pharisees that comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he calls him Rabbi, meaning a teacher. And he wants to know more about, and, and then more about the, more about the kingdom. And, and the Lord began to obviously share with him about the whole context of being born again. And let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to 3. And it says this, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom and to heal the sick. Now take nothing with you. So he gives them, he, he, he gives them particular aspects and, and conditions. He states some conditions there. So when you go out, you're not to take anything. You're to go out without anything, so to say, right? You go for a holiday and, you know, you take your credit card, you take uh, this amount of cash, that amount of cash, and now they tell you, okay, if you've got two credit cards, make sure that you split your credit cards, put it somewhere else, and all of that. So you've got all of So when you're caught unawares, I remember one of our trips, I think I shared that with you all, we... We were in Vietnam, and uh, I lost my wallet, and my wife put a card in to withdraw some cash and forgot to take the card out, and so we took the cash but left the card there, and suddenly we were stranded, no credit card, she has no credit card, and so we rely on our son's card, <laughs> which is a debit card. So imagine we have to transfer cash into his account. He has to then withdraw and then give it to us. But it just creates this whole aspect. But imagine if I just trusted the Lord. So what if I don't have my credit card? I'll just go order a meal and then they will cover it. Doesn't, what, doesn't this say that? He said, take nothing on your journey. He insisted them, don't take, don't, 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 don't even take a walking stick. Lucy, don't even take a walking stick, a traveler's bag. Food, money, or even change of clothes. Imagine that. He says that. What is the Lord trying to inculcate in these individuals? That this is a new form of relationship. It's a relationship based on total dependency. He's shifting a culture just like what we heard today. As our brother came up and shared, this strategy that we're employing is to shift a culture. So in order to shift the culture, he has to give you something that is totally out of the ordinary. Totally, it, it has to be something that you and I are not used to. There needs to be a change in our language. Language changes. Methodology has to change. Otherwise, we begin to do the same thing over and over again. So there must be a change of culture. The other thing that he, that he shares is what we, what we shared last week about, actually, let me, let me go back to that aspect of relationship. Now, there are two important words there. One is power and one is authority. Amen? 
Now, the best example that I can give you with the context of power and authority is actually a police officer. Right? A police officer has power and has authority. Now, power, what power means, it's, it's the raw ability to do something. That is power. Authority, it is, it is the right to do it. I have the right to do it. So when I have authority, I have the right to do it. Power is this raw ability. It is this raw. It's, it's this, this raw ability to do something. I've got, this, I've got the power to do something. I've got, I've got the power, the strength, to probably take about five chairs and carry that. Now, someone else may have the power to carry 10 chairs, but I know I can only do five because I have the power to do that. In order to take 10, I have to develop my muscles and I have to develop a strategy to carry 10 because there is, it involves a particular strategy. Now, so with a police officer, a police officer, and we have one here today, sitting right in our congregation here today. He hasn't got his uniform on. So, he may have the authority, but he probably hasn't got the power to do anything because he hasn't got his gun, he hasn't got his maze, he hasn't got any of that. So, authority without power is what? It's pointless. Did someone say pointless as well? It is pointless, right? And it's hopeless. Authority... Without power, authority without power is, oh no, sorry, power without authority is abuse. That's what I, I should have said earlier. Power without authority is actually abuse. When I've got power and I don't have authority, then it is abuse. Now, authority without power is pointless. Amen? And so a, a police officer, you see a police officer on the road with his uniform, he may not have his gun to stop you or anything like that. If, he's, if you're driving, all he does is he lifts his hand, and what happens? The cars will stop. You see a police car coming right behind you. Even if, it is, if his lights are not on or beside you, immediately what do you do? You slam the brakes. Even if you're under the speed limit, immediately. Why? Because there is this sense of power and and, and authority. So now God gives us this. He gives us both power and authority to begin to take this into the world, right? And to bring, to bring changes. So, so that comes through this relationship that we have. Discipleship, say it with me, is relationship. So what is discipleship? It is being in relationship. And I explained, I went through all of that, so I'm not going to go through that again this week. And I want, to, I, want to start, I want to start with this, that Christian discipleship must bring to place two aspects, knowing and becoming. What we know, we become. So the key is what I know, I then become. When I know this about the Lord, I want to become. If I know that God is an amazingly loving God, then I need to become that. If the Lord is powerful and if he can heal, then I need to be exemplifying that. I love that definition. What is discipleship? Me. You're the only Jesus some will ever know. Uh, you're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only Jesus some will ever know. So there is, there's a song, You're the Only Jesus. And if you Google it, I'd like for you to Google it. Go and Google that song and begin to listen to the words. Because no one else will see the Jesus apart from, this, apart from them seeing you and I. 
So going out into the world, and he begins to tell them this. He says, so when you begin to replicate people, when you begin to mentor, when you begin to disciple, when they become apprentices, when they lived with Jesus, they lived with someone who exemplified power. He spoke to the storm and it stilled. He walked on the water. So he, he fed the 5,000 as, as you would see in these, in these verses. When the apostles returned, they came back with everything that had done. Then he slipped quietly. He, they began to share, we did this, we did that. So they, they shared, but what happened was he, he slipped quietly away from them toward a place called Bethsaida. But the crowds found, found out where he was going. And they followed him. He welcomed them and he taught them about the kingdom of God. Right? He began to teach them about kingdom. And he healed those who were sick. So he exemplified this. So when we live with someone like that, when you go out as a, as a carpenter and as you begin to apprentice with someone, they begin to share with you how. How, how to begin to build a table, how to build a chair. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was a carpenter, that he actually really built. He learned to build things. Because God expects us, expects that of us. He begins to want us to really begin to build and build and build. So it's about, it's about, it's about building. Are we building lives? Are we building people? Are we building the city? Are we bringing a change even into the city? Are we transforming? Are we transform, uh, transformational agents? What are we? Amen. But Jesus said, you feed them. Because there were people that came, and this is about feeding the four or 5,000. And he says, you go and feed them. So imagine, here are disciples who've journeyed with him. They've seen all of his miracles. They come to him, and they are suddenly stuck. Right? And they find themselves that, I don't know what, what can I do now. I don't think I can do this anymore. So he comes to them. I mean, the disciples come to him and say that, you, this, this is an impossible task. This is an impossible task. So he puts this to them. Now, in Jesus' mind, he already knows that he can feed them. Am I right? He knows that there is, there is someone with five loaves and two fish that's going to be there. He knew all of that. But yet, he, he puts it to them now to go and feed. As he puts it to us. Feed the people. Bring change, bring transformation. How do we do that? If you only have five loaves and two fish, and that's how we sometimes feel, I only have this. But in the hands of an almighty God, your five loaves and two fish can feed masses that will blow your mind. I mean, it will take us to places that, that we, we, we probably may not have even considered. So, Coming into relationship with God, into the right relationship with the Lord. What is our relationship? How is our relationship like with the Lord today? Are we solely reliant on Him or are we reliant on structures? Are we reliant on Centrelink? Are we reliant on the government? Are we reliant on the church? Are we reliant? Whom are we totally reliant on? The Lord wants to bring us into a place of total reliance, friends. Because when he tells you, go and do this, then we can fully understand, right? For there were about 5,000 men. Moving on. So the people all sat down. Now Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and looked toward heaven and blessed them. 
Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could dis- distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover. Imagine that. 12 baskets. So he began to feed them. So he showed them. He demonstrated to them what he expects them to do. That's what Jesus was doing. He demonstrated to them what he expects. So he sat them down, gave them a strategy. As we heard today, there was a strategy given. Sat them down and he said, now go out, go and feed them. Take this that you have right now and begin to go and feed them. And there were leftovers. In other words, God is about doing Great multiplication. He is about over and abundance. He is about overflow. He's not just about just enough. He's about the overflow. And this year our theme is recalibrate for overflow. Not recalibrate for just enough. But it is recalibrate for overflow. So he wants to demonstrate this. And in, de- and in demonstrating this, we begin to move to the next point. Right? So what is discipleship? It is moving from being curious to being convinced. So what is it that convinced these people? It was a demonstration of power and authority. So Jesus demonstrated power and authority. So in our lives, are we demonstrating that power and authority? In Genesis chapter 128, when he created Adam and Eve, the first thing he told them was this. You are to take authority. You are to rule and reign. So he gave them that already right at the start. But they gave it away. And Jesus comes, takes it back, takes the keys and gives it back to us. And now begins to say, I am giving this to you. You lost it at one point. But now remember, I'm giving this back to you because it was always there. I am now providing you an avenue. And the avenue in which I am providing you is simply this. What he begins to then explain to them, he has to die. He has to go to the cross. And then he says, carry your cross. Because he reminds us of this one avenue that we need to remember. That we need to come to that place, where we, but we don't stay at the cross. Because the power is not in the cross. Not in, it is in the finished work of the cross. Friends, the power is in the finished work of the cross, not right at the cross. We have to go beyond that. So often we come back to the cross. No, we need to go beyond the cross. Amen? So it, 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 we need to move from being curious to being convinced. And so the crowd was convinced. They were, they were full and excited with this amazing, miraculous response because they saw it within, the, within their eyes. So one is Jesus himself had to establish credibility because he just comes in. Right? So he couldn't just arrive and say, okay, guys, I'm God in human form. That's who I am. But he went on and he said, okay, you guys remember this now. I, w- I want to share this with you. I'm God. And I'm going to explain to you and I'm going I'm to live this out with you. I'm going to share so he begins to share first of, firstly with the, with the 12. They, they become convinced and they go beyond that. The second aspect that he needs to try and do is one, he establishes his credibility. The second aspect Jesus begins to do is this, we find in this context is he attracts attention. I mean, what would attract attention when you take five loaves and two fish and you begin to feed 
5,000 people. I mean, isn't that going to attract attention? Imagine you go out today, you go out into all the homeless where they are, and you, all you take with you is just, you know, you, you go to Coles or Baker's Delight or whatever you get, you know, these, these little loaves, five, and you get two fish and you go out and you see all of the homeless that are there and you begin to feed them and you feed them and you feed them. Imagine what happens. Do you think they're going to leave you alone? They will follow you. Do you think this place will be filled with just 10 people? Thousands, hundreds. They will follow you because they will expect you to feed them again. Because you fed them once, they were hungry. And so they will come to you again and again and again. Something else needs to happen. Amen? And so we find that. We, we see this in, the, in this context here. And, he, and, and I want to take you to, to John chapter 3 and, and, and share with you this passage of Scripture. So if you can turn with me, actually. It's not on our slide, but I want to... I want you to turn to John chapter 6. So get onto your iPhones or your iPads or if you've got the real Bible with you. Uh, flip some pages to John chapter 6. And let, let me read a few verses from here. And here as well, you would see the context of Jesus walking on water. He also feeds 5,000. There's another context here of him feeding 5,000 as well here. And he walks on the water. So he creates this buzz. He creates credibility. He, he draws attention. And they are, they are seeing him. And, but he wants to begin to shift something here. And this mindset shift is so important in our discipleship. He begins to shift this. The feeding of the bread and of the 5,000 was to shift from him being just him feeding bread in that sense, to him being the bread of heaven, the bread of life. That they need to eat of him and not just this physical bread. So there is a journey that he begins to take. And so friends, again, what journey do we take people through in our discipleship? Which comes to us, what journey have you been on? What sort of a journey have you been on? Because we replicate the journey that we are on. If we live a life that, 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 is in, that is filled with insufficiency, we disciple people with insufficiency. If we live a life that lacks the power, we begin to replicate that in the lives of people that have lack of power. So we've got to begin to exemplify that. The very thing that we want to see happen elsewhere, note, you are the only Jesus that some will ever meet and some will ever know, Right? So in, in John chapter 6, in verse 22, the next day the crowd that had stayed on, on, uh, on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken only the boat. And then he goes on, now several boats in Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. Right? So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got onto the boats and they went right across. So they were looking. They were curious. They wanted to now find, where is this Christ? Man, this is what he did. I want to get to know. I want to find where he is. So they go. They, they go after him. They go after him. Then they found him on, in verse 25. On the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, where did, 
How did, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want, you, you want to be with me because I fed you. So immediately he knows what's on their mind and he addresses the issue. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And, and, and you know, this is an amazing passage of Scripture because you got to now journey with me here and you begin to see how he begins to work not on recruiting you find this passage doesn't talk about recruiting disciples. It talks about identifying who are the real ones. And so then little by little, one by one, they dropped away. Right? And we'll see that here. And, and so they answered in, in, in verse 30. It says, then Jesus answered, show us. Uh, no, sorry, in verse 29, they, they, uh, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you, believe in the one who has sent me. Believe in the one. Believe in the one, that's what, that's what he's saying. Then in verse 30 he says, then he answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe you. So again, moving from curious to convinced. They want to be convinced. Show us some mir miraculous sign. So the scripture says, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now. Uh, verse 31, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. And Moses then gave them bread to eat. And then Jesus replied in verse 32. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread of heaven. So the true bread of heaven, the, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever that comes to me will never be hungry again. So if, you're, if, if we are hungry, in a sense, he's saying this, if you really come to me, you will never be hungry. So he's talking about a hunger that is far, you and I know that is far deeper, that is not, that is not physical, that is not natural, he's saying. But you haven't, you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should lose, that I should not lose one of all those who he has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have, should have eternal life. Right? Then in verse 41, then the people began to murmur in, in, in disagreement because of what he had said. I am the bread that came down from heaven. So they couldn't understand that. So they began to disagree with him. There was this murmuring and disagreement. Now... Let's go a step further in where he's taking them to because this is going to be even more radical, even more difficult to understand, right? And he says this, they said, isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph? So they're equating him to just this ordinary person. Now remember I said Jesus came, he needed to create credibility, he needed to create some sort of a buzz of, of, of interest, 
So he starts doing that. But they are seeing him only as this person. Then Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father learns from him, comes to me. And learns from him, comes to me. Right? Then in verse 47, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Feeding, feeding 5,000 men, so there could have been 10 to 12 to maybe 15,000 people there, friends. Because they didn't mention about ladies and about kids. Now, which man is just going to go on his own without his family and without his kids to a place like that? He would have taken his community with him, right? So there would have been way more than that, right? And, and, and then in verse 50, it says, anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that, come, that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is, this is where now becomes the more difficult aspect, is my flesh. Then people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? He's talking, is he talking about cannibalism here? And so in their minds, this is what, this is what they're thinking. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat, you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Right? And he goes on. In verse 59, it says, He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. In Capernaum. Now, many... And then in verse 60, in your Bibles, probably there might be a heading, Many disciples desert Jesus. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? So Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. Then he said, This is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. And at this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Move from curious to convinced. You may be convinced, but even when you're convinced, the word of the Lord says that you can even move away. So being convinced alone, being convinced that he's the miracle worker, he does all of this, ain't going to change for you. Because when you and I come into times of major hardship, major difficulty, major challenges, when things don't seem to go the way that we expect it to, and when our life is at stake, when we are not being healed the way we want to be healed, when we are not being financed the way we want to be financed, when everything around us fails, can we, are we still convinced, which needs to take us to the next level 
of discipleship. And that's, that's where Jesus wants us to begin to engage ourselves in. And that is why he tells them, you know, yeah, don't, don't rejoice over the fact that demons, you know, are subjected to you and are subjected to my name and all. Don't rejoice over that, but rejoice over the fact that your name is written in the book of life because he's talking about a commitment that is far greater and far deeper and far, far and it is sealed. And so he begins to now, actually he shares with them about this eating of the flesh and blood because we know, I mean, in, in context we know what this means is simply this, that if I begin to eat of his flesh and blood, I'm talking about, I'm talking about this deep sense of relationship. It is not this eating, eating, his, eating, his literal, eating his literal flesh. That means, am I going to be embodied with him? Because if you look in Philippians chapter, chapter 3, when it says that I want to know you more. I want to know you in the depth of your, and I want to know your power, that I may be made conformable to you. But I want to know, I, I want to know the hardship that you've gone through. And that word knowing, as, as we understand, is the intimate aspect of knowing. As a husband would know his wife, and a wife knows her husband, there is that intimacy of oneness. So when the Lord talks about flesh and blood here, flesh and blood, blood is life-giving. In other words, he's saying, unless you take my life, you take my flesh, meaning what I am going through, and hence that is why he talks about his crucifixion here. That's why he says, he says that the Son of Man has to be crucified. So he's saying that your flesh now, can you take that? Can you take the flesh of hardship? Can you take these challenges? And it is only these, and it is only when you and I begin to say yes to all of this, that we then come to a place of total commitment. Right? Real, real commitment. So he wants, what does he, what, does he, what does he want to convince them of as he begins to share all of this? To convince them of his true identity, one. He says, you guys were so interested in bread, but now I need to share with you something that is even more, as I, as I mentioned that. Now his purpose was obviously to give himself to the cross and they couldn't, under, they couldn't understand that. Right? And he begins to, as he began to explain this to them, you found that there were several others that began to leave. And then he turns to some of his disciples and he begins to ask them this question. And this is, and again, he turns to Peter and he says this. This point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter said something that is so profound. Lord, to whom would we go? Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. You know that, we know that you are the Holy One of God. And, and if we come back to this passage in Luke chapter 9 now, having given you that context here, let's look at this. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray and only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? 
That is often going to be the question that you and I will always face through our entire journey. Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, and others say that, you know, you're one of these ancient prophets risen from the dead. And then he says, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? He's consistently asking, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Right? You are the Messiah sent from God. And then he said to the crowd, if anyone in verse 23, if anyone, if anyone of you wants to, wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So that takes us to our final point, which is discipleship has to move from the space of being convinced to being committed. It has to, right? And here's some questions for you to take home. These are some take, takeaways. What kind of a disciple, I started that, started asking you that. What kind of a disciple am I? Am I in that great company of the curious that likes a crowd? So I go wherever there is a crowd, I'm there because, you know, there is a buzz. It's really exciting. It's this, am I in the company of the curious that likes the crowd? Or am I in the great company of the curious that looks for answers that, are, that aren't going to cost me anything? So I look for the simple way out. This is, this is, you know, this is more, this is, this is more comfortable. It's, it's, it's easier. Come on, let's, let's, let me go to just the one meter jump. You know, we've been given a challenge today. Invite someone. And even if the person doesn't stay, it's okay. Now, can I rephrase that and say, now, and, and that's, no, that's no criticism of what Shami has said or anything like that. It, it is this. What, what I want to say is this, that why even stop at that? Why just invite someone just to come? Start thinking, how can I disciple this person? Yes, they come. And then maybe they may decide not to come the f after that or whatever. Visit the person, find out what it is, how else can you help? So it, it cannot and it must not end on just that alone. You and I, we need to move to the space of being really committed. And if we are committed, we're going to give everything. Friends, our lives here are temporary. Before we know it, we'll be snuffed away. So you and I, we need our lives to count. We really, really need our lives to count. Am I in the great company of the curious that are prepared to come along because it seems to be the thing to do around here at the present time? But I don't want any part of Jesus I was so intrigued by the title of this book. I love Jesus, but not the church. You know, and it led me to do a, uh, an assignment on that. And that's one reason why we have this, 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 uh, um, what do you call that? This tagline, 
and a ministry called KC Love This City. Because KC Love This City is, is about random acts of kindness. Uh, wow. Look at that. From drummer to piano player now. Hallelujah. That has moved from curious to convinced to being committed, I suppose, you know. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Bless God. And, you know, one of the, one of the five statements, one of the five value statements of Casey Love the City is this. To move from tolerance to acceptance. You know, we live in a society that says, you know, let's be more tolerant. I don't want you to tolerate me. And I hope you don't. I want you to accept me. And to accept me means you have to really love me. Which may be difficult, but you have to love me. You don't have a choice. I may give you that choice, but God hasn't given you that choice. So today, all of you needs to, you need to say this, I love Larry. I love Larry. Yes. You just have to say that because you have, and you got to now move from being, you, you got to move from being convinced. I, I can't just convince you today to love me. You need to commit. So this week, you need to spend time praying and committing yourself to loving me. Now, put someone else in that place. Who is it that you can love? Is that one person that you were challenged this morning going to be that? I'm sure we, we've got the capacity to love more than one, guys. Why do we bring it down to always the smallest and the simplest and the least offensive denominator? Because we don't want to offend you. But Jesus offended them. And he said, if you eat my flesh and blood, then. Only then. So in other words, he's saying, if you take upon me, if you take upon yourself what I take in my flesh, what I'm about to take in my flesh, and if you give of your blood, meaning if you give of your life, then you are considered a committed disciple. Then we are considered a committed disciple. Only then. Right? <laughs> am I convinced, Peter says. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Am I committed? This is our church logo. Is there a pointer here? Which is the pointer? Which is the pointer? Oh, here. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry, I was going to point there. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> okay. Now, doesn't this look like a person as I shared last week? Right? So you got your CKC, City, church and the person here is amen not Krista not Larry not Kevin not Ian not Ejong not Con I can put another C and put Con there that's fine that's but 
This is KC City Church, right? And the person is Jesus, the Trinity. Jesus is right over our community here. Hallelujah. And so we need, whenever you see our logo, whenever you think of KC City Church, you need to bring disciples who are curious, who are just interested. They come on that visit. So we were given a challenge to bring people to, because they're curious. Now we want to bring them into a place so when they visit, they become convinced. But we need to take them beyond being convinced into this place of being committed. And the only way that can happen is if you are committed to function in power and authority. Today, you've got to leave this place knowing full well that I have this power that exudes from here. The power that exudes from me. The power that exudes because I am that Jesus. And I'm so convinced. Absolutely convinced. Right? So Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who was that he was the son of man and suffer many terrible things that he said. He will be rejected by the elders and leading and uh, the teachers and the religious law. And he will be killed. But on that third day, he will be raised from the dead. On the third day, he will be raised. Nothing in you is going to remain dead because God is about resurrecting things in you. If you're going through a challenge that, that, that is causing you to feel dead, come on, speak to that aspect. Be more than convinced. Be committed to denying the unbelief in your life. Because if you leave it there, it is going to remain there and it is going to fester. Like what Uncle Fester from... Uh, the Adams family. You don't want to go back to Adams family. We are, we are, we are the new Adam. Hallelujah. <laughs> we are the new Adam. And we're not going to allow Uncle Fester to remain in our minds and deny us from what is rightfully ours. Because he's given you what? What has he given you? Come on. What has he given you? Come on. Say it again. Say it again. I want every mouse to move, please. That's right, because you must be more than convinced. You must be committed to that. He's given you power and authority. Now, He has now put on you a garment. He has put on you the uniform. So, if I can invite you to stand. Let's begin to stand and let's begin to believe that He has put on you the garment of praise. For the spirit of heaviness. He's placed on you this new garment. Amen. He's placed on you this, this new garment. He's placed on you a uniform. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I was told that when a police officer leaves his station, he's got to remove his uniform and leave it and go home without that. For security reasons and all of that. So the police officer is undercover at home. But when he goes to the office, he's got his uniform. Now, today, you have been placed with a uniform that you don't need to go home and, and remove it. We are not undercover disciples. Hallelujah. We are not undercover disciples. We are disciples that are committed with power and authority. So come on. Let's, let's begin to believe that. Hallelujah. 